Mosiah chapter 11. Now we begin what turns out to be one of the saddest epics in the Book of Mormon account. It all occurred during the reign of King Noah, the son of Zenith and the father of Limhi. Now it came to pass that Zenith conferred the kingdom upon Noah, one of his sons. Therefore Noah began to reign in his stead, and he did not walk in the ways of his father. It is usually a serious danger signal when the scripture says, quote, and he did not walk in the ways of his father, unquote. For behold, he did not keep the commandments of God, but he did walk after the desires of his own heart, and he had many wives and concubines, and he did cause his people to commit sin and do that which was abominable in the sight of the Lord. Yea, and they did commit whoredoms and all manner of wickedness. It is very obvious that Noah was an immoral and wicked man, and we soon learn that this is the way of life he used to corrupt most of the people. And he laid a tax of one-fifth part of all they possessed, a fifth part of their gold and of their silver, and a fifth part of their ziff and of their copper and of their brass and their iron, and a fifth part of their fatlings, and also a fifth part of all their grain. And all this did he take to support himself and his wives and his concubines, and also his priests and their wives and their concubines. Thus he had changed the affairs of the kingdom. For he put down all the priests that had been consecrated by his father and consecrated new ones in their stead, such as were lifted up in the pride of their hearts. Now we learn for the first time that Zenith was not only a righteous man, but that he had brought the priesthood with him from Zarahemla and was a religious man. He also ordained a number of priests to serve the people. It is interesting that he said very little about his religious activities when he was writing in his journal. Now this wicked son Noah dismissed all of his father's priests, and he presumed to consecrate priests of his own who had no genuine priesthood at all and were sympathetic to Noah's degenerate ways of life. From here on, everything went downhill. Yea, and thus they were supported in their laziness and in their idolatry and in their whoredoms by the taxes which King Noah had put upon his people. Thus did the people labor exceedingly to support iniquity. Wicked rulers have wicked ways. Nothing much worse could have happened to the people of Zenith than to have them brought under the abominable influence of King Noah. Yea, and they also became idolatrous, because they were deceived by the vain and flattering words of the king and priests, for they did speak flattering things unto them. King Noah and his priests were typical servants of Satan. They reveled in their wickedness and even began the worship of idols. And it came to pass that King Noah built many elegant and spacious buildings, and he ornamented them with fine work of wood and of all manner of precious things of gold and of silver and of iron and of brass and of ziff and of copper. One of the travesties of human history is the fact that the most wicked rulers have frequently left as a principal portion of their legacy the most elaborate and beautiful works of art. It is almost as though they were trying to surround themselves with beautiful art to either cover up or compensate for their evil ways. 
Their lives had been tainted with abominable careers of immorality as well as corruption by which they had acquired their riches in the first place. This was not only demonstrated in the wretched life of King Noah, but it can be illustrated in thousands of examples both anciently and in modern times. And he also built him a spacious palace, and a throne in the midst thereof, all of which was of fine wood, and was ornamented with gold and silver and with precious things. And he also caused that his workmen should work all manner of fine work within the walls of the temple, of fine wood, and of copper, and of brass. And the seats, which were set apart for the high priests, which were above all the other seats, he did ornament with pure gold. And he caused a breastwork to be built before them, that they might rest their bodies and their arms upon, while they should speak lying and vain words to his people. It is interesting that Noah even desecrated Nephi's temple. He filled it with his own kind of decorations, and had high seats for his pretentious counterfeit priests, who had to have breastworks in front of them on which they could rest their arms while they taught lying doctrines and vain words to the people. And it came to pass that he built a tower near the temple, yea, a very high tower, even so high that he could stand upon the top thereof and overlook the land of Shilom and also the land of Shemlon, which was possessed by the Lamanites. And he could even look over all the land round about. As we shall see later, King Noah came very close to losing his life at the top of this tower near the temple. And it came to pass that he caused many buildings to be built in the land Shilom, and he caused a great tower to be built on the hill north of the land Shilom, which had been a resort for the children of Nephi at the time they fled out of the land. And thus he did do with the riches which he obtained by the taxation of his people. This second high tower, which was built by King Noah on the hill right next to the narrow strip of wilderness, was where the prophet Mosiah had assembled the righteous who were willing to flee from the apostate Nephites and travel northward with their flocks and possessions to a land which turned out to be the land of Zarahemla. It must have been a memorable day when the apostate Nephites of Lehi-Nephi awakened to find that Mosiah and his huge body of people had completely disappeared. And it came to pass that he placed his heart upon his riches, and he spent his time in riotous living with his wives and his concubines. And so did also his priests spend their time with harlots. It is interesting that Noah corrupted all of his priests as well as himself, so there was no one to teach correct principles to the people. And it came to pass that he planted vineyards round about in the land, and he built wine presses and made wine in abundance. And therefore he became a wine-bibber, and also his people. Now King Noah adds widespread drunkenness to his list of degenerate practices in the land of Lehi-Nephi, as well as in the cities of Shemlin and Shalom. And it came to pass that the Lamanites began to come in upon his people, upon small numbers, and to slay them in their fields, and while they were tending their flocks. And King Noah sent guards round about the land to keep them off. But he did not send a sufficient number, and the Lamanites came upon them and killed them, and drove many of their flocks out of the land, 
Thus the Lamanites began to destroy them and to exercise their hatred upon them. The disintegration of the Nephite civilization which Noah had promoted among his people was too big a temptation for the Lamanites. They found it easy to overcome the weak defenders which Noah had set up around the land. The Lamanites began waging widespread warfare against the Nephites and hauling away huge flocks of domestic animals as well as the possessions of the Nephites. And it came to pass that King Noah sent his armies against them, and they were driven back, or they drove them back for a time. Therefore they returned, rejoicing in their spoil. And now, because of this great victory, they were lifted up in the pride of their hearts. They did boast in their own strength, saying, that their fifty could stand against thousands of the Lamanites. And thus they did boast and did delight in blood and the shedding of the blood of their brethren, and this because of the wickedness of their king and priests. When Noah organized a formidable army of the Nephites to combat the Lamanites, they readily overcame the spasmodic guerrilla bands and the Nephites seemed to revel in the sport of spilling the blood of their fellow human beings. And it came to pass that there was a man among them whose name was Abinadi. And he went forth among them and began to prophesy, saying, Behold, thus saith the Lord, and thus hath he commanded me, saying, Go forth and say unto this people, Thus saith the Lord, Woe be unto this people! For I have seen their abominations, and their wickedness, and their whoredoms, and except they repent, I will visit them in mine anger. Now a great servant of God suddenly arose among the Nephite people, whose ministry will occupy our closest attention right up to the end of chapter 17. His name was Abinadi. And except they repent and turn to the Lord their God, behold, I will deliver them into the hands of their enemies. Yea, and they shall be brought into bondage, and they shall be afflicted by the hand of their enemies. And it shall come to pass that they shall know that I am the Lord their God, and am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of my people. And it shall come to pass that except this people repent, and turn unto the Lord, their God. They shall be brought into bondage, and none shall deliver them, except it be the Lord, the Almighty God. Abinadi came prepared to denounce the degraded abomination of the Nephites under King Noah, and to predict what the Lord planned to do to withdraw his support of the Nephites, and allow them to become virtual slaves and bondservants of the Lamanites. Yea, and it shall come to pass that when they shall cry unto me, I will be slow to hear their cries. Yea, and I will suffer them that they be smitten by their enemies, and except they repent in sackcloth and ashes and cry mightily to the Lord their God, I will not hear their prayers, neither will I deliver them out of their afflictions. And thus saith the Lord, and thus hath he commanded me, now it came to pass that when Abinadi had spoken these words unto them, they were wroth with him and sought to take away his life. But the Lord delivered him out of their hands. The Nephites were violently outraged by the preaching of Abinadi and tried to kill him, but somehow he escaped. 
Nevertheless, Abinadi had created such an uproar among the people with his message that there was a Jesus Christ coming very shortly. Therefore, King Noah sent out a royal edict that Abinadi should be immediately captured and brought to the king who boasted that he would personally slay him. Now when King Noah had heard of the words which Abinadi had spoken unto the people, he was also wroth, and he said, Who is Abinadi, that I and my people should be judged of him? Or who is the Lord, that shall bring upon my people such great affliction? I command you to bring Abinadi hither, that I may slay him. For he has said these things, that he might stir up my people to anger one with another, and to raise contentions among my people. Therefore I will slay him. So the contest was joined, and the people set about to try and find Abinadi, so the king could slay him. Now the eyes of the people were blinded. Therefore they hardened their hearts against the words of Abinadi, and they sought from that time forward to take him. And King Noah hardened his heart against the word of the Lord, and he did not repent of his evil doings. Mosiah chapter 12 It will be recalled that there was a death warrant sent out against the prophet Abinadi. King Noah wanted him captured and brought to him so he could personally slay him. And it came to pass that after the space of two years that Abinadi came among them in disguise, that they knew him not, and began to prophesy among them, saying, Thus has the Lord commanded me, saying, Abinadi, go and prophesy unto this my people, for they have hardened their hearts against my words. They have repented not of their evil doings. Therefore I will visit them in my anger, yea, in my fierce anger will I visit them in their iniquities and abominations. Although Abinadi had been in disguise for two years, he did not choose to hide his identity when he appeared again among the people. He said the Lord had called him by name to warn the people. God's message was that the Lord was about to turn loose his wrath upon these apostate Nephites if they did not repent. Yea, woe be unto this generation. And the Lord said unto me, Stretch forth thy hand and prophesy, saying, Thus saith the Lord, It shall come to pass that this generation, because of their iniquities, shall be brought into bondage, and shall be smitten on the cheek, yea, and shall be driven by men, and shall be slain. And the vultures of the air, and the dogs, yea, and the wild beasts, shall devour their flesh. Notice that they are warned that they will be placed under bondage, and many of them will be killed. And it shall come to pass that the life of King Noah shall be valued even as a garment in a hot furnace. For he shall know that I am the Lord. And it shall come to pass that I will smite this, my people, with sore afflictions, yea, with famine and with pestilence, and I will cause that they shall howl all the day long. Abinadi says the life of King Noah will be as fragile as a piece of cloth in a hot furnace, and the people will suffer pestilence, famine, and persecution until they howl all the day long. Yea, and I will cause that they shall have burdens lashed upon their backs, and they shall be driven before like a dumb ass. And it shall come to pass that I will send forth hail among them, and it shall smite them, 
and they shall also be smitten with the east wind, and insects shall pester their land also, and devour their grain. And they shall be smitten with a great pestilence, and all this will I do because of their iniquities and abominations. And it shall come to pass that except they repent, I will utterly destroy them from off the face of the earth. Yet they shall leave a record behind them, and I will preserve them for other nations which shall possess the land. Yea, even this will I do, that I may discover the abominations of this people to other nations. And many things did Abinadi prophesy against this people. In this prophecy the people are told how hail, drought from the east wind, and crickets or insects will devour their crops. Then the prophecy becomes more ominous. Abinadi quotes the Lord as saying that unless these people repent, they will be annihilated and wiped off the face of the land. However, their records will survive and tell others who will come to possess the land how they happen to be wiped out because of their wickedness. And it came to pass that they were angry with him. And they took him and carried him bound before the king, and said unto the king, Behold, we have brought a man before thee, who has prophesied evil concerning thy people, and saith that God will destroy them. And he also prophesieth evil concerning thy life, and saith that thy life shall be as a garment in a furnace of fire. And again he saith that thou shalt be as a stock, even as a dry stock of the field, which is run over by the beasts and trodden underfoot. And again he saith, Thou shalt be as the blossoms of a thistle, which, when it is fully ripe, if the wind bloweth, it is driven forth upon the face of the land. And he pretendeth, The Lord hath spoken it. And he saith, All this shall come upon thee, except thou repent, and this because of thine iniquities. The people thought they had heard enough. They rushed upon him as a crowd and overcame him. Then they bound him and took him to the king. It does not appear that they identified him as the prophet who had been condemned two years earlier, or they would have mentioned it. Instead, they made an entirely new charge against Abinadi, based on what they had just heard him say recently. They made a big thing out of the words which Abinadi had said against the king. They specifically quoted Abinadi as saying that the value of the life of the king would be no more than a piece of cloth in a furnace of fire, or a dried reed in the field trodden under the foot of men. They even quoted Abinadi as comparing the value of the king's life to that of a dried blossom of a thistle that only needed a puff of wind to scatter it far and wide. All of this was designed to stir up the king to take action against Abinadi, since Abinadi had also uttered some very ominous prophecies against these accusers themselves. And now, O king, what great evil hast thou done, or what great sins have thy people committed, that we should be condemned of God or judged of this man? And now, O king, behold, we are guiltless, and thou, O king, hast not sinned? Therefore this man has lied concerning you, and he has prophesied in vain. And behold, we are strong. We shall not come into bondage, or be taken captive by our enemies, 
yea, and thou hast prospered in the land, and thou shalt also prosper. It is interesting that these accusers did not wait for the king to agree with them, but began defending the king as well as themselves, and boasting of their great strength so that they knew they would never be conquered or put under bondage. Behold, here is the man. We deliver him into thy hands. Thou mayest do with him as seemeth thee good. And it came to pass that King Noah caused that Abinadi should be cast into prison. And he commanded that the priests should gather themselves together, that he might hold a council with them what he should do with him. We notice that the king did not unsheath his sword and kill Abinadi as he had promised to do two years earlier. Instead, he had Abinadi thrown into prison so they could hold a council and think how best to handle this whole miserable affair. And it came to pass that they said unto the king, Bring him hither, that we may question him. And the king commanded that he should be brought before them. If the king's priest had thought Abinadi was some itinerant ignoramus, they had a rude awakening when they began asking him questions. And they began to question him that they might cross him, that thereby they might have wherewith to accuse him. But he answered them boldly, and withstood all their questions, yea, to their astonishment. For he did withstand them in all their questions, and did confound them in all their words. Sophisticated men who think they are very learned will try to embarrass opponents by asking about things they themselves have not yet figured out. This is what the priests of King Noah did to try and confound Abinadi. Since he had confounded them on the scriptures, they thought they could stump him on something which they themselves had not been able to figure out. It was a scripture from the 52nd chapter of Isaiah. And it came to pass that one of them said unto him, What meaneth the words which are written, and which have been taught by our fathers, saying, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Thy watchmen shall lift up the voice, with the voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. Break forth into joy, sing together ye waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord hath comforted his people, he hath redeemed Jerusalem. As Abinadi listened to the rendition of this beautiful scripture, his mind must have leaped with joy. It was the very scripture which gave him an ideal platform from which to launch the rest of his message. So Abinadi stood up to Noah's priests, and here is what he said. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And now Abinadi said unto them, Are you priests, and pretend to teach this people? and to understand the spirit of prophesying, and yet desire to know of me what these things mean, I say unto you, Woe be unto you for perverting the ways of the Lord! For if ye understand these things, ye have not taught them, therefore ye have perverted the ways of the Lord. 
Having scolded the priests of Noah, Abinadi asked them a penetrating Socratic question. We read, Ye have not applied your hearts to understanding, therefore ye have not been wise. Therefore, what teach ye this people? And they said, We teach the law of Moses. And again he said unto them, If ye teach the law of Moses, why do ye not keep it? Why do ye set your hearts upon riches? Why do ye commit whoredoms and spend your strength with harlots, yea, and cause this people to commit sin, that the Lord has caused to send me to prophesy against this people, yea, even a great evil against this people? That did it. Abinadi went after him like a Jeremiah. Know ye not that I speak the truth? Yea, ye know that I speak the truth, and you ought to tremble before God. By this time the priests undoubtedly realized that they had stepped off into a deep dark hole, and in their anxiety to get out of it they stepped into a deeper one. Abinadi immediately picked up on their mistake. And it shall come to pass that ye shall be smitten for your iniquities. For ye have said that ye teach the law of Moses, and what know ye concerning the law of Moses? Doth salvation come by the law of Moses? What say ye? And they answered and said that salvation did come by the law of Moses. But now Abinadi said unto them, I know if ye keep the commandments of God ye shall be saved. Yea, if ye keep the commandments which the Lord delivered unto Moses in the mount of Sinai, saying, I am the Lord thy God, who hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything in heaven above, or things which are in the earth beneath. Now Abinadi said unto them, Have ye done all this? I say unto you, Nay, ye have not. And have ye taught this people that they should do all these things? I say unto you, Nay, ye have not. Abinadi was not only confounding these wicked priests, but he was trying to get them humbled sufficiently so he could teach them something. Now Mosiah chapter 13. By this time King Noah was so frustrated, and so were his priests. When wicked men reach this state of total defeat or frustration, they have only one solution in mind, and Noah and his priests were prepared to use it. And now when the king had heard these words, he said unto his priests, Away with this fellow, and slay him. For what have we to do with him? For he is mad. As the priests and perhaps others went forth to seize Abinadi, he had a surprise for them. And they stood forth, and attempted to lay their hands on him, but he withstood them, and said unto them, Touch me not, for God shall smite you, if ye lay your hands upon me. For I have not delivered the message which the Lord sent me to deliver. Neither have I told you that which ye requested that I should tell. Therefore, God will not suffer that I shall be destroyed at this time. But I must fulfill the commandments wherewith God has commanded me, 
and because I have told you the truth, ye are angry with me. And again, because I have spoken the word of God, ye have judged me that I am mad. Abinadi's words had the desired effect. Neither the priest nor the king himself had the courage to test Abinadi's warning of instant death if they touched him. Now it came to pass, after Abinadi had spoken these words, that the people of King Noah durst not lay their hands on him, for the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and his face shone with exceeding luster, even as Moses did while in the Mount of Sinai, while speaking with the Lord. They must have been astonished when the face of Abinadi began to radiate a strange, wonderful light, just as the face of Moses shone when he came down from Mount Sinai. And he spake with power and authority from God, and he continued his word, saying, Ye see that ye have not power to slay me, therefore I finish my message. Yea, and I perceive that it cuts you to your hearts, because I tell you the truth concerning your iniquities. Yea, and my words fill you with wonder and amazement and with anger. King Noah and his wicked priests were beholding a miracle. The illuminated face of Abinadi should have been enough to humble them and convert them, but they reacted exactly as Satan himself would have done. The miracle they were witnessing had no other effect upon them except to fill them with rage and a passionate desire to destroy this man with a shining countenance. But I finish my message, and then it matters not whither I go, if it so be that I am saved. Apparently the spirit of prophecy was revealing to Abinadi that he would soon die by fire, and that those who martyred him would have descendants that would die in the same cruel way. So he said, But this much I tell you, what you do with me after this shall be as a type and a shadow of things which are to come. But now back to the business at hand. Abinadi has a great testimony he wants to bear concerning God's commandments and the divinity of Jesus Christ, who is soon to come. Now I read unto you the remainder of the commandments of God, for I perceive that they are not written in your hearts. I perceive that ye have studied and taught iniquity the most part of your lives. And now ye remember that I said unto you, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of things which are in heaven above, or which are in the earth beneath, or which are in the water under the earth. And again, Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generations of them that hate me. Here is a challenging scripture to the children of Israel. It's as parents who introduce idolatry into their family culture can expect it to have a debilitating effect on their descendants clear down to the third and fourth generation of quote them that hate me, unquote. This is a direct quote from Exodus 20 and 5, and it is repeated a number of times all through the Old Testament. Of course, where heathen nations introduced idolatry among their people, it became a permanent part of their culture, far beyond the third and fourth generation. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. 
Nevertheless, by way of contrast, history will demonstrate the fabulous blessings that have come to those who remain faithful. Now Abinadi carefully recites the rest of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day, the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Then comes Abinadi's challenge as he asks them. And it came to pass that after Abinadi had made an end of these sayings that he said unto them, Have ye taught this people that they should observe to do all these things for to keep these commandments? I say unto you, Nay, for if ye had, the Lord would not have caused me to come forth and to prophesy evil concerning this people. Abinadi had previously asked them if salvation came by living the law of Moses, and they had demonstrated that they neither understood the law of Moses nor the reason why it was given. And now ye have said that salvation cometh by the law of Moses. I say unto you, that it is expedient that ye should keep the law of Moses as yet. But I say unto you, that the time shall come when it shall no more be expedient to keep the law of Moses. To the apostate minds of King Noah and his priests, this Abinadi was baffling. He even said the time was coming when no one would have to keep the carnal commandments or the law of Moses. So the question remains, that, of course, would be after Christ had come and the carnal law had fulfilled its purposes. Now Abinadi addresses the question, quote, what does bring salvation, unquote. And moreover I say unto you, that salvation doth not come by the law alone. And were it not for the atonement, which God himself shall make for the sins and iniquities of his people, that they must unavoidably perish, notwithstanding the law of Moses. But if salvation comes through the atonement which God will provide, then why was the law of Moses given? And now I say unto you, that it was expedient that there should be a law given to the children of Israel, yea, even a very strict law, for they were a stiff-necked people, quick to do iniquity, and slow to remember the Lord their God. Therefore there was a law given them, yea, a law of performances and of ordinances, a law which they were to observe strictly from day to day, 
to keep them in remembrance of God and their duty towards him. But behold, I say unto you, that all these things were types of things to come. So the law of Moses was given to a stubborn and stiff-necked Israel to teach them the rhythm of obedience. It was also to teach them the meaning of the atonement of Christ through the symbol and types of things to come. But of course, this whole complicated law of Moses only had significance if the people understood its meaning. Therefore, the prophet asks, And now did they understand the law? I say unto you, Nay. They did not all understand the law, and this because of the hardness of their hearts, for they understood not that there could not any man be saved, except it were through the redemption of God. But what had God done to help the people understand that there was a coming Messiah, and that the law of Moses was only to prepare their minds for his coming? For behold, did not Moses prophesy unto them concerning the coming of the Messiah, and that God should redeem his people? Yea, and even all the prophets who have prophesied ever since the world began, have they not spoken more or less concerning these things? Have they not said that God himself should come down among the children of men, and take upon him the form of man, and go forth in mighty power? upon the face of the earth. Yea, and have they not said also that he should bring to pass the resurrection of the dead, and that he himself should be oppressed and afflicted? Perhaps all of this seems like a terrible waste of time to cast the pearls of the gospel before these wretched apostates who had already made up their minds to kill Abinadi. But there is something very exciting about all of this. Out there in this motley crowd of apostates was one priest who was going through a wrenching, soul-searching convulsion of conversion and repentance. Among all these immoral, murderous, hate-filled apostates, one Christian was emerging. His name was Alma, and eventually we will learn all about him. Mosiah chapter 14. As we have mentioned earlier, the rabbis rejected the idea that their Messiah would be killed the first time he came among the people, and they had ripped out of the scriptures all references to the first coming of Christ. One precious chapter that they misinterpreted and therefore failed to tear out of the Bible was Isaiah chapter 53. Abinadi now uses this very chapter to support his assertions that Jesus would be coming soon to provide the redemptive sacrifice that would bring salvation to the people. So he begins quoting directly from Isaiah around 700 B.C. At that time, Isaiah had just told the people about the glorious second coming. But he can't get the Jews to believe that the same Christ who will have come earlier had been rejected and killed. Isaiah said, Yea, even doth not Isaiah say, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, 
and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Isaiah said the first coming of Christ will be very quiet and unpretentious. The Messiah doesn't even appear like Augustus Caesar or some illustrious leader to whom the people will be attracted politically or militarily. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our face from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. The Messiah will be truly a man of sorrows. He will suffer the same way that all mankind suffer when they are trying to render a great service but are rejected. The anguish Jesus will suffer in making his atoning sacrifice will be attributed by the people to the wrath of God for some terrible crime he is presumed to have committed. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquities of us all. What we are reading was misinterpreted by the scholars in Jerusalem and elsewhere as referring to the fall of Israel and her subsequent return to power. However, these verses so obviously refer to the suffering of an individual. It is difficult to understand how they twisted the meaning and missed the great messianic message which this verse contains. It is so obvious that this person is suffering in order to provide a redemption for those who have sinned. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. This was literally fulfilled in every detail at the time of the crucifixion. Notice that he was not stoned or mobbed in a popular lynching, but he was taken from prison after a formal trial and executed. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no evil, neither was any deceit in his mouth. And he would not be buried in consecrated ground, but in the new tomb of a rich man called Joseph of Arimathea, who had a newly hewn tomb in his own private garden. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. This verse could be very seriously misunderstood. It sounds almost as though God rejoiced to see his son crucified. Actually, the father suffered even more than Abraham did when he was commanded to sacrifice his son Isaac. 
And it is believed that the reason the Lord commanded Abraham to sacrifice his son was so that at least one earthly father would better appreciate what it was like when the heavenly father was required to sacrifice his beloved son in order to save this round of creation from the fall. We mentioned this earlier in our discussion of Jacob chapter 4 verse 5. At this point, let us merely mention that since every round of the Father's creation requires a redemptive sacrifice, it greatly pleased the Father and caused him to rejoice that Jesus would volunteer to go through this terrible experience so as to redeem this round of creation from the fall. Like any father, he cringed at the thought of what Jesus would have to go through but it greatly pleased the father that his beloved son would volunteer to do it. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Notice that Abinadi says that when the father sees the suffering of Jesus, he will know that it is sufficient to overcome the demands of justice and provide the great redemption. We will discuss this further when we get to Alma chapter 34. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. When it is all over, Jesus will see his seed, or the souls of those who are saved, and he will divide the fruits of his sacrifice with the Father. This great achievement will be made possible because he was willing to pour out his soul unto death, even though he was falsely accused of being a transgressor and because of the virtue of the compassion which he will arouse in the intelligences of this entire round of creation, he is able to make direct intercession on behalf of those who repent, and because of his suffering he overcomes the demands of justice. Mosiah chapter 15 Abinadi had an intimate knowledge of the close relationship between the father and his beloved son. In fact, the son would personify that relationship and represent them both when he came to the earth in his role as a redeemer. And now Abinadi said unto them, I would that ye should understand that God himself shall come down among the children of men and shall redeem his people. And because he dwelleth in flesh, he shall be called the Son of God. And having subjected the flesh to the will of the Father, being the Father and the Son, the Father, because he was conceived by the power of God, and the Son, because of the flesh, thus becoming the Father and Son. What Abinadi's teaching is this, because Jesus would be conceived by the power of the Father, he would be of the Father, and because he would come in the flesh as the offspring of the great Elohim, he would be called the Son and they are one God, yea, the very eternal Father of heaven and of earth. But Abinadi wants them to understand that the Father and the Son function as one God in the creation and the government of both the heaven and the earth, 
Therefore, individually, they are often referred to as the Father, although they are two different persons. And thus the flesh becoming subject to the Spirit, or the Son to the Father, being one God, suffereth temptation, and yieldeth not to the temptation, but suffereth himself to be mocked, and scourged, and cast out, and disowned by his people. In this perfect state of unity, the Son fulfills his role as Redeemer by suffering temptation but never yielding to it. And even though he is sinless, he will endure being mocked, scourged, and cast out by his own people. And after all this, after working many mighty miracles among the children of men, he shall be led, yea, even as Isaiah said, As a sheep before the shearer is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. And although he demonstrates the power of both the Father and the Son in performing many mighty miracles, he will be led away like a sheep to be shorn of his life without a word of protest. Yea, even so he shall be led, crucified, and slain, the flesh becoming subject even unto death, the will of the Son being swallowed up in the will of the Father. All of this leads to the supreme sacrifice which both the Father and the Son know is inescapably necessary to redeem this round of the creation from the fall. It even requires the death of the Son, that he might assert the power of the Father and the Son over death by shattering the bands of death and opening the gates of eternity to the resurrection. And thus God breaketh the bands of death, having gained the victory over death giving the Son power to make intercession for the children of men. Now all of this is to allow the Son, as the mediator for the great plan of both the Father and the Son, to make intercession for the children of men who repent, so that they can return to the Father and continue their eternal progression, which will further add to the glory of God the Father. Although Abinadi does not mention it here, those who do not qualify through repentance, even after being given the opportunity to do so, must remain forever as ministering servants on a lower plane of existence. Having ascended into heaven, having the bowels of mercy, being filled with compassion towards the children of men, standing betwixt them and justice, having broken the bands of death, taken upon himself their iniquity and their transgressions, having redeemed them, and satisfied the demands of justice. When the plan has been completely executed, Jesus returns to heaven, where he has demonstrated that his bowels are filled with mercy or compassion for all mankind, and he makes intercession for all who are willing to qualify through repentance and avoid the consequences of sin and the demands of justice because Jesus has interceded on their behalf. None of this is comprehensible until we learn about the hosts of intelligences which give God his power and demand suffering for sin unless Jesus intercedes for those who have qualified for the blessings of the atonement. Otherwise, there are severe and rigid demands for justice, when we come to Alma chapter 34, we will discuss those heavenly principles so we can understand how the atonement works. And now I say unto you, Who shall declare his generation? 
Behold, I say unto you, that when his soul has been made an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. Now what say ye? And who shall be his seed? Of course, Isaiah raises the question that since Jesus will be shorn of his life, who will declare his seed or his offspring? Or to say it another way, who will be his children, whose feet are beautiful upon the mountain? After all, this was the question Noah and his apostate priests had asked in the first place, hoping to discredit Abinadi. Behold, I say unto you, that whosoever has heard the words of the prophets, yea, all the holy prophets who have prophesied concerning the coming of the Lord, I say unto you, that all those who have hearkened unto their words, and believed that the Lord would redeem his people, and have looked forward to that day for a remission of their sins, I say unto you, that these are his seed, for they are the heirs of the kingdom of God. For these are they whose sins he has borne. These are they for whom he has died, to redeem them from their transgressions. And now, are they not his seed? Yea, and are not the prophets, every one that has opened his mouth to prophesy that has not fallen into transgression, I mean all the holy prophets ever since the world began, I say unto you that they are his seed. And these are they who have published peace, who have brought good tidings of good, who have published salvation and said unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. And oh, how beautiful upon the mountains were their feet. These five verses comprise a glorious proclamation of the gospel truth. The children of Christ are those who publish the gospel in the past, those who are preaching it during the present, and those who will preach it in the future. So Abinadi continues. And again, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those that are still publishing peace. And again, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who shall hereafter publish peace, yea, from this time henceforth and forever. But of all those whose feet are beautiful upon the mountains, none are more beautiful or glorious than the feet of the Redeemer himself. And behold, I say unto you, this is not all. For oh, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings that is the founder of peace, yea, even the Lord, who has redeemed his people, yea, him who has granted salvation unto his people. For were it not for the redemption which he hath made for his people, which was prepared from the foundation of the world, I say unto you, were it not for this, all mankind must have perished. Now Abinadi begins his tribute to the Savior, and all the things that Jesus will accomplish when he comes to the earth to fulfill his great mission. He begins with the resurrection of the dead, but concentrates on those who come forth in the first resurrection. These are the ancient saints who were faithful and who are resurrected about the same time Jesus comes forth from the grave. But behold, the bands of death shall be broken, and the sun reigneth and hath power over the dead. Therefore he bringeth to pass the resurrection of the dead. And there cometh a resurrection, even a first resurrection. 
yea, even a resurrection of those that have been, and who are, and who shall be, even until the resurrection of Christ, for so shall he be called. And now the resurrection of all the prophets, and all those that have believed in their words, or all those that have kept the commandments of God, shall come forth in the first resurrection. Therefore they are the first resurrection. They are raised to dwell with God who has redeemed them. Thus they have eternal life through Christ, who has broken the bands of death. Among the first to come forth will be the saints of the Old Testament period. It will include all the prophets and the righteous believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ during the first 4,000 years. And these are those who have part in the first resurrection. And these are they that have died before Christ came, in their ignorance, not having salvation declared unto them. And thus the Lord bringeth about the restoration of these. And they have a part in the first resurrection, or have eternal life, being redeemed by the Lord. And little children also have eternal life. It will include all those who died without ever hearing the gospel, but afterwards accepted it in the spirit world. It will also include little children who died before they reached the age of accountability. But behold, and fear, and tremble before God, for ye ought to tremble. For the Lord redeemeth none such that rebel against him and die in their sins. Yea, even all those that have perished in their sins ever since the world began, that have willfully rebelled against God, that have known the commandments of God and would not keep them, these are they that have no part in the first resurrection. But it will not include any of those who rejected the gospel and died in their sins after rebelling against God. Therefore ought ye not to tremble? For salvation cometh to none such. For the Lord hath redeemed none such. Yea, neither can the Lord redeem such. For he cannot deny himself. For he cannot deny justice when it has its claim. It is impossible for Jesus to intercede on behalf of those who rebelled against the gospel when it was taught to them and died in their sins. The hosts of the intelligences on which the Father depends for his power makes their demands upon the Father for justice, and the atonement of Jesus Christ cannot overcome those demands. The only way the wicked can be redeemed is to suffer for their own sins to the uttermost farthing and then be assigned to one of the lower kingdoms. We will be discussing this in detail later on. And now I say unto you that the time shall come that the salvation of the Lord shall be declared to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Abinadi then looks down toward the time of the millennium when everyone on earth will hear the gospel declared to them. Abinadi then goes on to discuss the day of supreme happiness when God will bring forth Zion. Yea, Lord, thy watchmen shall lift up their voice. With the voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye, when the Lord shall bring again Zion. Break forth into joy. Sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord hath comforted his people. He hath redeemed Jerusalem. 
The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Mosiah chapter 16 Now Abinadi is coming to the end of his heroic testimony of the gospel and coming of Jesus Christ. And now it came to pass that after Abinadi had spoken these words, he stretched forth his hand and said, The time shall come when all shall see the salvation of the Lord, when every nation, kindred tongue, and people shall see eye to eye, and shall confess before God that his judgments are just. He has one final verse about the great millennial era, when the survivors of the great cleansing of the earth will all see eye to eye and confess that God's judgments are just. And then shall the wicked be cast out, and they shall have cause to howl and weep and wail and gnash their teeth, and this because they would not hearken unto the voice of the Lord. Therefore the Lord redeemeth them not, for they are carnal and devilish, and the devil has power over them. Yea, even that old serpent that did beguile our first parents, which was the cause of their fall, which was the cause of all mankind becoming carnal, sensual, devilish, knowing evil from good, subjecting themselves to the devil. But while Zion is enjoying peace and joyful living, those who rejected the gospel and turned themselves over to Satan will be allocated to a very severe judgment. After they are destroyed in the flesh, an angel later showed Alma that they are allocated to a state of darkness and a state of awful, fearful looking for the fiery indignation of the wrath of God upon them. And that's a quote from Alma chapter 40, verse 14. Then Abinadi describes why they find themselves in such horrible circumstances. Thus all mankind were lost. And behold, they would have been endlessly lost, were it not that God redeemed his people from their lost and fallen state. But remember, that he that persists in his own carnal nature, and goes on in the ways of sin and rebellion against God, remaineth in his fallen state, and the devil hath all power over him. Therefore he is as though there was no redemption made being an enemy to God, and also is the devil an enemy to God. The most heartbreaking and terrifying destiny these people could imagine would be a future with no possibility of being rescued from the dark pit with no hope of release or redemption. And now, if Christ had not come into the world, speaking of things to come as though they have already come, there could have been no redemption. If Christ had not made his atoning sacrifice, there would be no end to this darkness and suffering. But even for the wicked there is a plan of redemption. It requires them to suffer until they have paid the uttermost farthing. They must not only satisfy the host of intelligences who measure the amount of suffering required to satisfy the demands of justice, but even those who suffered as their victims of atrocities and wickedness they also must feel that they have suffered enough. Only then can they be, quote, redeemed, unquote, and assigned to one of the lower kingdoms. And if Christ had not risen from the dead, 
or have broken the bands of death, that the grave should have no victory, and that death should have no sting, there could have been no resurrection. And unless Jesus had come as a representative of the Father and burst the chains of death, there never would have been a resurrection and a victory over death. It would have left these wicked spirits to wander endlessly until they all came under the influence of Satan, who rules the wicked in the spirit world. But there is a resurrection. Therefore the grave hath no victory, and the sting of death is swallowed up in Christ. But thanks be to God, there is a plan worked out by the Father and the Son, so that even the wicked can eventually satisfy the demands of justice and serve God in one of the lower kingdoms. The only exception are the sons of perdition. For them there is no hope. This is described in the Doctrine and Covenant, section 76, verses 32 to 37. He is the light and the life of the world, yea, a light that is endless, that can never be darkened, yea, and also a life which is endless, that there can be no more death. Even this mortal shall put on immortality, and this corruption shall put on incorruption, and shall be brought to stand before the bar of God to be judged of him according to their works, whether they be good or whether they be evil. The great judgment is something many deny, forget, or ignore, but its consequences will be very real and terrifying. If they be good to the resurrection of endless life and happiness, and if they be evil to the resurrection of endless damnation being delivered up to the devil, who hath subjected them, which is damnation, having gone according to their own carnal wills and desires, having never called upon the Lord while the arms of mercy were extended towards them. For the arms of mercy were extended towards them, and they would not, they being warned of their iniquities, and yet they would not depart from them, and they were commanded to repent, and yet they would not repent. Now Abinadi makes his final hopeless appeal. And now ought ye not to tremble and repent of your sins, and remember that only in and through Christ ye can be saved? Therefore, if ye teach the law of Moses, also teach that it is a shadow of those things which are to come. Teach them that redemption cometh through Christ the Lord, who is the very eternal Father. Amen. Mosiah 17 As Abinadi concluded and the king prepared to hand down his wicked verdict, there was one priest who felt compelled to speak out. He knew Abinadi was right and this wicked combination of the king and his priests were wrong. So the record says, And now it came to pass that when Abinadi had finished these sayings, that the king commanded that the priests should take him, and cause that he should be put to death. But there was one among them whose name was Alma, he also being a descendant of Nephi. And he was a young man, and he believed the words which Abinadi had spoken, for he knew concerning the iniquity which Abinadi had testified against them. Therefore he began to plead with the king that he would not be angry with Abinadi, 
but suffer that he might depart in peace. Young Alma's approach to this crisis was a simple one. He didn't get into the polemics of who was right and who was wrong, but he tried to convince the king there was no danger in just letting Abinadi go on his way in peace. But the king was more wroth, and caused that Alma should be cast out from among them, and sent his servants after him that they might slay him. Since Alma had been counted a former friend of the king and all of these priests, it must have come as a shock to Alma to see them violently turn upon him as though he were guilty of treason. They not only ordered Alma evicted from the king's royal chamber, but the king commanded his servants to pursue young Alma and kill him. But he fled from before them, and hid himself that they found him not. And he, being concealed for many days, did write all the words which Abinadi had spoken. Alma was young and athletic, and he escaped. His task was to find a safe refuge and quickly write down the words of Abinadi while they were fresh on his mind. We are not sure when the thicket at the waters of Mormon became his refuge, but they may have been so from the beginning. In any event, he found a secret place where he could be safe while he hurriedly wrote down the teachings of Abinadi. Meanwhile, we learn what had happened to Abinadi. And it came to pass that the king caused that his guards should surround Abinadi and take him. And they bound him and cast him into prison. And after three days, having counseled with his priests, he caused that he should again be brought before him. At this point the king was face to face with the prophet of God. The king and the priests had held their counsel, and their sentence was about to be pronounced. The king was even prepared to tell Abinadi what he had said, which warranted a sentence of death. However, in the spirit of condescending generosity, King Noah said the sentence would be commuted if Abinadi would recall everything he had said. And he said unto him, Abinadi, we have found an accusation against thee, and thou art worthy of death. For thou hast said that God himself should come down among the children of men. And now for this cause thou shalt be put to death, unless thou wilt recall all the words which thou hast spoken evil concerning me and my people. Now Abinadi said unto him, I say unto you, I will not recall the words which I have spoken unto you concerning this people, for they are true. And that ye may know of their surety, I have suffered myself that I have fallen into your hands. Yea, and I will suffer even until death, and I will not recall my words, and they shall stand as a testimony against you. And if ye slay me, ye will shed innocent blood, and this shall also stand as a testimony against you at the last day. It is interesting that the self-confidence of the king suddenly collapsed. The priests immediately surrounded the king to restore his passionate hatred of Abinadi. Unless he remained firm, the priests themselves might all be in jeopardy. So they emphasized how Abinadi had actually testified against the king and said that the death of Abinadi would be a witness against the king. And that did it. Finally the king had aroused his royal wrath sufficiently to act. And now King Noah was about to release him, for he feared his word. 
for he feared that the judgments of God would come upon him. But the priests lifted up their voices against him and began to accuse him, saying, He has reviled the king. Therefore the king was stirred up in anger against him, and he delivered him up that he might be slain. And it came to pass that they took him and bound him, and scourged his skin with faggots, yea, even unto death. Notice that the king appears to have turned Abinadi over to the priests for execution. Two years earlier, when Abinadi first appeared among the people, the king said that if he could be captured, the king himself would slay him. Now we're not certain whether the king even knows that this is the same prophet. In any event, he turned him over to the priests to be executed. Apparently they tied him to a stake and then tortured him with faggots of fire until he collapsed into the flames which were rising around him. A portrayal of Abinadi being burned alive will be found in the Treasures from the Book of Mormon, volume 2, page 106. But in the agony of his last moments of consciousness, Abinadi poured out his final prophetic edict upon all of them. And now... When the flames began to scorch him, he cried unto them, saying, Behold, even as ye have done unto me, so shall it come to pass that thy seed shall cause that many shall suffer even the pains of death by fire, and this because they believe in the salvation of the Lord their God. And it will come to pass that ye shall be afflicted with all manner of diseases because of your iniquities. Yea, and ye shall be smitten on every hand, and shall be driven and scattered to and fro, even as a wild flock is driven by wild and ferocious beasts. And in that day ye shall be hunted, and ye shall be taken by the hand of your enemies, and then ye shall suffer, as I suffer the pains of death by fire. Thus God executeth vengeance upon those that destroy his people. O God, receive my soul. And now, when Abinadi had said these words, he fell, having suffered death by fire. Yea, having been put to death because he would not deny the commandments of God, having sealed the truth of his words by his death. If you liked this podcast and would like access to other materials by W. Cleon Skousen, you can find them online at skousenlibrary.com.